Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It started with a hiss. A piercing, high-pitched sound. And then, diplomats attached to the newly reopened U.S. Embassy in Havana, Cuba, began to succumb to a mysterious illness that left them with severe headaches, dizziness and fatigue. It reads like a Cold War spy novel. One government official saying the incidents were so severe that some U.S. diplomats needed to get hearing aids. Havana was just the start. As of today, it's happened on almost every continent. U.S. diplomats and agents working abroad coming down with symptoms suggesting the possibility of brain damage. So, who's attacking Americans across the world? Or is it possible that no one is? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, Havana Syndrome. New superweapon or old-time hysteria? Havana Syndrome. 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 It's a big story in the States. Apparent attacks on US diplomats, which all started in 2016 in Havana, Cuba, and have since spread around the world. To get a proper sense of the narrative in America, I spoke to... Warren Strobel. I am the National Security and Intelligence Correspondent for The Wall Street Journal in our Washington Bureau. I've been covering foreign policy and national security for about 35 years. In late 2016, something started happening to people who were working at the US and at the Canadian embassies in Havana, Cuba. Now, what did they report at the time? Hearing strange sounds and a feeling of heat or pressure. Headaches, fatigue and cognitive difficulties. Nausea, hearing loss and problems with balance and memory. Difficulty sleeping. Some suffered traumatic brain injury. Even brain damage. They reported a number of symptoms and they reported they've been affected by some sort of uh, sound or pressure to the head that they connected with these symptoms. The reports differ a little bit from patient to patient or victim to victim, if you want to put it that way. Early on, there was a great deal of skepticism that this was something specific. I think both at the State Department and later on at the CIA, personnel who reported this were not taken seriously or given medical attention. That's what I'm told by uh, both State Department and CIA officers who believe they were affected. So we have people, a number of people. How many people in the early days were reporting symptoms of this kind? I believe in Cuba, in Havana, it was in the tens at most. 
relatively small number. We now have, and we have to be careful with the numbers, but I think around 200 is a safe number worldwide in terms of U.S. government personnel. The numbers change because sometimes people who didn't really report symptoms at the time come forward as this has become more of a public issue. And there are some people who report symptoms and they're looked at and they're not verified as actual cases. So officials tell me the number is a little bit of a moving target. Now, this came not long after the U.S. had reopened the embassy in Cuba, didn't it? Because that was reopened in 2015. And these attacks, if they are attacks, seem to begin in 2016. Today, the United States of America is changing its relationship with the people of Cuba. In the most significant changes in our policy in more than 50 years... President Barack Obama, you know, took a major initiative to reestablish diplomatic relations with Cuba. And uh, there is some speculation, and I should caution, I haven't reported this part of the story, but others have reported that people who were against this uh, rapprochement might be responsible for these attacks. In other words, elements in the Cuban regime that didn't want a rapprochement with Obama... Others have also, and again, there's no solid evidence that I know of, but others have also speculated that maybe the Russians would not want a Cuban rapprochement, since Cuba is an ally very close to the U.S. mainland. So it starts in Cuba with people reporting these symptoms, and no one can work out what it is. And then, could you tell us a bit about how it seems to have spread? Could it really be another sonic attack, this time here at a U.S. consulate in southern China? The next major site was in China, more in the 2018, maybe early 2019 timeframe, where U.S. diplomats and other personnel, I believe both in Shanghai and Guangzhou, report similar symptoms. And again, most of them are not taken seriously by the doctors at the State Department or their own superiors at the embassies and consulates. But that's the next major sort of site. And I think, again, in that case, up to 20, 25 people, roughly speaking. So we have Cuba, we have China. And what after that? And then after that, you have sort of this kind of slow spread of reports. And it's really accelerated, I think, in the last year in terms of the reporting of of these incidents. You have uh, Austria, Vienna, which is a major spy center and has been since World War II or before, you know, a major place where spies hang out and do their thing. And you have several dozen Americans and their families. There have been reports that some children were affected in in Vienna. And then the Wall Street Journal reported uh, a number of cases in Berlin. And then I think what really sort of took it up a step in terms of at least uh, American policymakers and to some extent public attention was two cases that got very close to senior American officials. Kamala Harris had to delay her trip to Vietnam because at least two officials at the U.S. Embassy there had to be medevaced because of the experience uh, of symptoms. And then uh, a month later... A CIA official who traveled to India this month is the latest to report symptoms of Havana syndrome. A senior official who was traveling with uh, CIA Director William Burns in New Delhi was reported being attacked. And that's a very curious one because the CIA director's travel schedule is not an open secret. Now, what can you tell us about what has happened? Because it's now a few years since the first reports of people suffering in this way. What has happened to the people who suffered in the first instance? What's been the kind of progress uh, of their situation? 
I mean, quite often they um, they report serious lingering symptoms. I don't want to speak for Mark Polymeropoulos. He's probably the most outspoken CIA officer who discusses this issue publicly. And he was at CIA headquarters and did a trip to Moscow. He was a fully declared CIA officer. He was in his hotel room at night, and all of a sudden he describes pressure, nausea, dizziness. He thought he had food poisoning. I was falling over in my room. I thought I was going to vomit. I was incredibly nauseous. Um, I had this incredible ringing in my ears, uh, and I knew something was really wrong with me. And Mark reports. I mean, I've had a headache for three years. It feels like a vice clamp down here, and then there's pressure that comes over the top of my head. He has continuous serious headaches, other kinds of symptoms associated with traumatic uh, brain injury. That is true for others as well. So it's not something that happens and then goes away. Again, there was a lot of skepticism at first. You know, were people not making this up? Were they imagining things? Was it psychosomatic? But now there have been studies done on people's brains that do show some sort of change in, the, in their brain structure that are consistent with like a traumatic brain injury, consistent with what changes in the brain you might uh, see if a soldier was, uh, you know, within uh, hearing distance of a uh, an IED in a rocks. And that is one of the prime pieces of evidence that this is not uh, a case of mass hysteria. Have the people who have reported these symptoms, have any or most of them been forced to give up work? Mr. Polymeropoulos had to resign reluctantly from the CIA after a 20-plus year career. And that's true, I think, for other State Department officials and CIA officials as well. And until recently, they were reported struggling to get the serious medical attention and recognition they deserve. That has started to change, at least within the United States. Have other countries been affected in similar ways, or is it just Americans? For Canadian diplomats, the sun, culture and political intrigue of Havana, Cuba was a dream posting. But in 2017, that all changed when five embassy staff and their families suddenly developed medical issues that would become known as the Havana Syndrome. As far as I'm aware, the only other um, country who was reported being affected is uh, some Canadian diplomats who were affected at the same time U.S. officials were in the original incidents in Havana. So we would have to believe that if these were attacks, have been attacks, then they have been attacks directed pretty much solely at personnel working for the United States. Precisely. That's the picture that we have right now. Journalism is about trying to, at least part of journalism, about trying to solve mysteries. And this is just an incredible mystery. Um, It's five years on. The U.S. government and presumably anybody else doesn't know precisely what mechanism is being employed, who is doing it, how to stop it. It's kind of incredible to me that five years on, we know very little. As we both know, when you get something like this, which is a mystery, everybody tries to solve it. So there must be some really good theories out there, some of which seem more probable than others. Can you take me through at all some of the most respectable? If I might, I might go from across the board. I mean, there were some early studies, uh, including one done by the FBI, which basically concluded this was, I'm not sure psychosomatic is the right word, but some sort of imaginary thing that people were imagining, and then it was sort of almost contagious. Others were imagining it. That study has now been widely panned, and it was not based actually on any interviews with uh, the victims, or as far as I'm aware, any study of their brain images and so forth. And 
there been a couple of other reports. There was a report by a very distinguished group called Jason, which is a senior scientific advisory group to the U.S. National Security Establishment. And it, it was done two or three years ago. It was just kind of declassified in the last couple of weeks, and it talked about the sounds of crickets, and that was probably what was responsible for this. But again, that did not involve any discussions with victims, and I think it's pretty much been panned as out of date at best. A long-awaited U.S. government report released over the weekend said the most plausible explanation for the mysterious symptoms experienced by American diplomats in U.S. embassies in Havana, Cuba, and other countries were, quote, consistent with a directed radio frequency energy attack. The best study we have to date that I'm aware of is a study by the uh, National Academy of Sciences, Medicine and Engineering, part of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, which cited, quote, significant research in Russia on pulsed radio frequency technology and that military personnel exposed to microwave radiation in Eurasian communist countries were said to have experienced the same symptoms suffered by the U.S. diplomats. But that's as far as they went, and they said that more research is needed. They are continuing to research. The CIA is continuing to try and establish both the mechanism and the actor here. And the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which coordinates all 18 U.S. intelligence agencies, has convened another panel of both intelligence analysts and leading scientific experts to try and learn more about what possible mechanism is involved here. Because we're journalists, we tend to speculate and we tend to tell stories. And what I think the listener would want to try and understand, if it was possible, is what kind of weapon could possibly do this? In other words, is there anything that the American military establishment has been looking into or now has which could in any way explain the consequences of such an attack? And I want to caution uh, your listeners that I'm not an expert on, uh, I'm not an electrical engineer or weapons designer, but I have been told that the American military, the Russian uh, national security establishment and the Chinese over the years, and this is documented, have worked on weapons using pulsed energy, really rapid microwaves and things of that sort. So there is some of this in the literature, academic literature and elsewhere, that such things are possible. But in terms of exactly how it's being done, we don't know. And it could be, very well could be some sort of surveillance device that is actually primary purpose is to pick up electronic communications, but as a side effect, it hurts people's brains. And again, there's evidence that the U.S. Embassy in Moscow during the 1980s and perhaps later was bathed in microwave radiation as part of a surveillance uh, operation. Are there significant figures who are becoming impatient with this mystery? Within the U.S.? I would say so. I, you know, Congress, the U.S. Congress, I can't exactly pinpoint a time, but over the last year has become very impatient with not only the mystery, but the fact that people who were working for the U.S. government, who uh, took it upon themselves to uh, go overseas with their families in service of the U.S. government, felt that they had been attacked and weren't uh, getting care that they needed. So... Very few things get done in the U.S. Congress on a bipartisan basis these days. It's polarized, to say the least, but both the House and Senate passed a bill on a bipartisan, almost unanimous basis that victims feel is a milestone because it not only does it recognize Havana syndrome as a real thing, but it uh, provides, uh, allows the State Department CIA to reimburse officials who have had large out-of-pocket medical expenses as a result of this. 
There's a general feeling that the former, some people will say that the former director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, did not make this a priority and did not act upon it with alacrity. And people I've talked to, both current and former CIA officials, believe that Mr. Burns, the current director, has. He's met with virtually every CIA officer who has believed they've been a victim. He's traveled to Walter Reed Hospital in the Washington area to meet with people who are undergoing treatment. And he has uh, stood up a task force to try and find the causes of this and the actor behind this. And that task force is led by a senior analyst who was among the people who were uh, responsible for the decade-long hunt for Osama bin Laden. For the time being, in America at any rate, the, the notion of what I think is called a psychogenic cause is not popular because people think they see the real physical results. And also those people suggesting it was psychogenic have really not had access to or done the work with the subjects themselves. I think there are still some people in some quarters who believe this is psychogenic, but the balance of evidence and for what it's worth, the sort of popular... I want to say opinion, but popular perception of this is swinging the other way. Let's suppose for a moment it's a very, very, and as you say, the hypothesis has been panned. Let's just say for a moment that it could be established eventually that maybe this was psychogenic. How silly would people feel about it then? I've thought about that myself. We would all feel very silly. I mean, I think members of Congress who've made this a big issue and people who have reported symptoms and people like me who have written about it would indeed feel silly. And I've tried in my reporting to be measured and not um, blow things out of proportion. We can only report what we know. Coming up, a neurologist on the reasons Havana syndrome might be a new name for an old but fascinating phenomenon. But first... This is Callum MacDonald interrupting your enjoyment of Stories of Our Times to say hello from Times Radio. Every weekday morning from 5am you can join me on Early Breakfast as we unpack the day ahead just for you. We bring you the biggest talking points in sport and we bring you Times Radio's first business bulletin of the day. Before the markets have opened, you know how they're going to shape the day ahead. We can only do all of this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I hope that is you. If it's not, you can subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. While the US government currently gives credence to the idea that a new superweapon is responsible for the symptoms suffered by those affected by Havana syndrome, there is another very different explanation. My name is Susanna Sullivan. I'm a consultant neurologist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. But I also have a special interest in, and I write a great deal about, psychosomatic disorders. So people who get real physical symptoms that have more of a psychological cause rather than being due to a disease. All psychosomatic symptoms are like that. They're real things that are happening, but not necessarily related to an underlying pathology. So I could better understand how a person might display symptoms of an illness which does not actually have physical origins, Dr O'Sullivan told me about cases of seizures that look like epilepsy, electric storms in the brain, but aren't. Dissociative seizures are what would have once upon a time been called hysteria or psychosomatic seizures, also called non-epileptic attacks. And these are manifestations of the way the brain shuts down, causes someone to lose consciousness and have a seizure that looks very like an epileptic seizure, but it's not actually due to a brain disease. It's probably due to a psychological process called dissociation, which is something a little bit like something we all experience from time to time. It's that moment when you're desperate to hear a particular part of a news broadcast and you have to play the same broadcast six times before you take it in because your awareness and your attention keep wandering. So it's a separation of different elements of the cognitive processes that stop you from paying attention can sometimes go so awry that it causes seizures. So dissociative seizures tell us that you can have this great physical uh, effect, and you can tell that because there's simply not the electricity in the brain, this kind of electric storm in the brain, which uh, a non-dissociative seizure, what you call that, an associative seizure, would give you. In an epileptic seizure, you've got this overwhelming burst of electrical activity in the brain that shouldn't be there, and that's what causes you to black out. But if you measure the brain waves of somebody with a dissociative seizure, you see a normal waking pattern. So the tests say the brain is awake, although the person is clearly not awake, they're profoundly unconscious. And it's this separation between the apparent sort of awareness and normality of what the brain is doing and the experience of the person is consistent with the dissociation or the separation of awareness and attention. Now, what some people might find difficult to believe is whereas they could see that possibly individuals would do it, they find it hard to accept that maybe this could happen to more than one person or people in groups. And I honestly find it hard to understand why people find that hard to accept, because it seems to me that we all experience this in 
small ways. And again, you know, the pandemic's an example of this. If you know that you've been in the room with someone who has contracted COVID, then what what are you going to do? You're going to go home and begin examining your body for symptoms. And you'll know exactly which symptoms to look for because we've all been told them repeatedly. And as soon as you start examining your body, you'll notice things you never noticed before. And thus, through that sort of spread of knowledge, through word of mouth, or through the internet, it's very easy to spread an epidemic of physical symptoms by simply raising awareness and asking people to look out for particular things. So what other examples have we seen in recent history of of a phenomenon like that? At any point in time, there is a phenomenon like this happening somewhere in the world. Examples that I personally visited in, I think it was about 2011, about 133 people in Kazakhstan over the course of a few years fell into an unexplained sleep. So they just fell asleep in inappropriate places. The test said they weren't asleep. There was nothing wrong with their brains. They slept for maybe a period of a week and then woke up. And that passed from person to person within a small town over a period of a number of years. In upstate New York in about, I think again, 2011, A dozen students at one school say they started having tics, an uncontrollable outburst, something like you would see with Tourette's. A group of high school girls in a town called Leroy got contagious tics. So one girl in the class got tics like Tourette's syndrome type tics, and then that spread to 11 other girls in the same high school. When when these started, I was fine. I was perfectly fine. I... I I felt good about everything. I was on honor roll. There was nothing going wrong. And then I just woke up and that's when when the stuttering started. So this sort of phenomenon of physical symptoms passing rapidly through groups is actually incredibly common. So back in 2016, 2017, you hear about Havana syndrome. And what does that make you think? And as soon as I read about Havana syndrome, you know, I felt that this was very clearly a case of mass sociogenic illness. It's very hard to make sense of it any other way. The story I read was that a group of people heard a loud noise and believed that that noise caused brain injury. Now, there's many, many reasons why Havana syndrome is likely to be a mass sociogenic illness. But you can stop right there and say, well, unfortunately, sound doesn't damage the brain. So whatever was causing these people's illness, it couldn't possibly have been sound. And there is a sort of folk illness element to this concept that sound can damage the brain, because I think we sort of visualise sound entering through our ears and then having some sort of direct access to our brain. But of course, what sound does is it travels along nerves to the brain in just the way touch sensation or visual sensation does. So sound that's loud enough to produce energy to cause damage would have no particular preference for the brain. It would damage any part of the body. And of course, sound that loud would be heard by many people, not just one. So it could just be that our association of noise with the phrase, that noise is driving me crazy, is enough in a sense to get people to make the link. We know sound is an irritant. So sound is used in a type of weapon. It's used, I think, against pirates and because some people are really irritated by high-pitched noises and sound, therefore, can be used as a deterrent. Very loud sounds, say, like in a rock concert, can damage the ears, not the brain, the ears. But sound as a deterrent in which it's kind of unpleasant for some people or sound damaging your ears is just part of what makes this whole thing feel a little believable. 
But unfortunately, it doesn't damage the brain, even if those other um, truths are actually true. So you were looking at the early Havana stories and you were saying, well, this sound damage is impossible. It can't really happen, yet people are saying it is. Was there anything about the way in which people, the establishment in America and so on, were reacting to those early stories that you thought might contribute to a, the further creation of this syndrome? I mean, 100%. Obviously, I only learned of this story when it was already a year in. But when you read the accounts of that, the year that people spent before this became public knowledge, so that was December 16 until I think it was August 17, what happened is that the diplomatic staff in Havana, they were called to meetings where they were told they were essentially under attack. Now, of course, the concept that they could be under attack was absolutely realistic. There was nothing, you know, um, this precedent for odd surveillance and unusual attacks by foreign governments. So it wasn't ridiculous for them to believe that was true if they were told it, but they were told it by the highest authorities. They were then told that they should start examining their own bodies for symptoms. They were told if they heard any unusual noises, they should go behind walls or they should take evasive manoeuvres. There's unusual noises in our environments all the time, you know, and if we're asked to look out for them and hide from them, you know, what does that do to you? Well, what it does is it both makes you hypervigilant to your body and it also produces, you know, all those stress hormones. It activates the stress pathways to produce loads of new bodily changes for you to notice. So now you've just been told to pay attention to your body and your body is activating the stress pathways to give you more to worry about. So I'm sure it was a it was a terrible experience for those people. And I think that's something that's not acknowledged enough. It must have been terrifying. And then to have people pouring over them in this way must have really heightened their need to prove they were sick. And also presuming to presume they were sick down the pathway of the existing suggested pattern of sickness. Yes, I mean, people were told how to be sick in the same way that we were told how to be sick during COVID, except that's a different sort of comparison. But, you know, we're given a list of symptoms to look out for. And then those symptoms begin to become obvious to you because you're paying attention to your body. Although very interestingly, what happened is what always happens with kind of psychosomatic phenomena or mass sociogenic phenomena is the symptoms weren't stable. So most disease symptoms are quite stable. You know, the symptoms of diabetes are the same in everybody. But what happened in a sociogenic phenomenon is each new person found something new to add to the symptom pool. So they noticed the symptoms they were told to look out for. They paid extra attention to the body, noticed a few new symptoms. So each new person brought a new set of symptoms to this disorder because it's interesting to observe the descriptions of this disease or illness rather when it made its way to China. Last year, Catherine Werner, a U.S. diplomat stationed in China, told her parents she was experiencing strange sounds and sensations in her apartment. Her health was declining rapidly. People really describe their symptoms in a completely different way, and that's one of the hallmarks of a mass sociogenic phenomenon. The symptoms described by those affected in Havana were mostly to do with the ears and the brain. Those affected in China had different problems. We heard a very high-pitched sound in Catherine's bedroom and we heard a very low pulsing sound in the living room. Our heads would pulse. Um, you would feel like you would want to regurgitate. Um, you could become instantly paralyzed, instantaneously uh, fatigued.
And that's what happens with these sort of disorders. It's an interesting kind of looping effect is each new person brings something new to the disorder. And that new symptom invites someone else to join the disorder because they have that new symptom. And then they bring something new. So it tends to be an accumulating phenomenon. Now, of course, the American security people have been unable to suggest what weapon this would be or whether one has ever been created. But what they have said is, look, we've done some studies and there is actually a measurable difference between the brains of people who have been affected by Havana syndrome and a sample of people who have not. Now, you've looked at those studies. Uh, What can you tell me about them? This is a study performed by one of the doctors who was looking after these people, so someone who knew them well. And what they did was they compared brain imaging done on the affected diplomats who lived in Havana, and they compared that with brain imaging from people living in the USA. Now, the first thing they did that led to misleading results is within the diplomat group, everyone who was affected was included. But within the control group that they took from the USA, they removed anyone with a history of neurological disorder. That means that basically these groups are immediately not the same because you haven't used the same exclusions on the affected group. But the other thing they did was they only partially matched these two groups. So when you're comparing scans, you need to be sure that you're comparing the same two things and similar sets of people. They only partially match these groups. And you really can't compare the brain scans of someone who's a diplomat who travels over the world, takes lots of long haul flights, has a completely different sort of lifestyle to someone who's lived in the USA for their whole lives, for example. You might expect their brains to be slightly different in some way. So what's often been reported in the press as abnormalities or evidence of brain injury in these people is actually just related to study design. These brain images were slightly different, but neither were abnormal. And that's the crucial point. And the differences can be explained by the way the study was carried out. By neither were abnormal, what you mean is, though there might have been a difference between the two groups as they constituted them, even the samples from the brains of the people who, in Havana, weren't actually signs of damage. Absolutely. So they were 100% normal in the diplomat group. And they just found slight sort of measurement differences that were not related to disease when they compared them with the control group. Well, that's not exactly an ace in the hole when it comes to proving that Havana syndrome exists, is it? No. And even the sort of authors of that paper said in the conclusion that this was evidence of nothing. (laughs) But unfortunately, then what happens is that the press gets hold of this information. And if you read it in the press, even in very reliable sources, you know, these scientific studies are presented in a way that is very misleading. So it's been presented as evidence. when I think even the people who did the study did not consider it to be evidence. Now, they're an establishment, you're one person. Do colleagues of yours working in the same kind of field, have you discussed it with them? And do they tend to agree with your approach to this? I think that most experienced neurologists, whether they work specifically in my field or not, would agree entirely with what I'm saying. And certainly within my field, people would be entirely in agreement with what I'm saying. Because, you know, these are things we see in clinic every day. It's being reported as if this phenomenon is incredibly unusual, it's strange, it's unprecedented. 30% of what comes to the average neurologist clinic is this sort of phenomenon. It's really normal. And the only thing that's not normal about this one is that, you know, it's related to sort of agencies and the CIA and the FBI and sonic weapons. But in every other sense, this is an ordinary medical phenomenon. 
We don't know, of course. But for the moment, if we have to choose between a previously unsuspected weapon deployed by an unknown assailant in a multitude of settings and a well-known phenomenon, mass psychogenic outbreaks among groups under stress, I'd opt for the latter. What do you think? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, National Security and Intelligence Correspondent for The Wall Street Journal, Warren Strobel. You can read more of Warren's work online at wsj.com. And Dr O'Sullivan's latest book, The Sleeping Beauties and Other Stories of Mystery Illness, was published earlier this year. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by Vulcan Kizzeltug. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, we really like those, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimesatthetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>